Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to Canterbury Gardens Community Church. My name is Shabu. I have the great privilege of being one of the pastors here at Canterbury. If you're visiting us for the very first time, second time, third time, how many ever time, we pray that you, your heart, particularly if you don't know Jesus, will be stirred to know and discover him. If you're someone who's been um, kind of estranged from the church, we pray that God will warm your heart to find a church family in a community. If that is us, please do get in touch with us. And church family, we pray as we go into this series in 1 Thessalonians, our hearts will continue to be refreshed, encouraged, challenged to live for Jesus in this world. So this morning, we continue our series in 1 Thessalonians. We started that a few weeks back. We kind of gave you a bit of a foundation, a big picture of what it means to live a life pleasing to God. And here we have the Apostle Paul who has planted this church. He cares for this church, and you see that in the letter that we're about to discover. And it was planted in interesting circumstances. Now, he wants to know how they're going. He's his concern for them. I mean, you've got to remember this church most likely was going to face significant persecution, and they did, for standing up for Jesus. Most of them came most likely from idol-worshipping backgrounds. And so Paul sends Timothy to find out how they're doing and kind of wonder if Paul was sort of waiting there or wonder how they're doing. This is before uh, emails and so on. And Timothy comes back with such really encouraging news. So Paul wants to address that by starting off by encouraging them but then also dealing with some issues that are going on in that church. So, would you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to have Sam read uh, these words to us. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfast of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning to us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Thanks, Sam. Well, friends, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your word that is powerful, and I pray and ask that your word will change our lives this morning, whoever we are, in whatever season we're in. And Lord, I pray not just individually, but as a church family. In your mighty name I pray. Amen. Friends, what I want us to consider this morning is, as we're going through this passage, is to keep asking the question, is this true of us? And when I mean us, I don't mean individually. I'm meaning as a church, as a church family, as a community. A few 
uh, years back, someone asked, tell me about Canterbury Gardens Community Church. And I wondered, if someone asked you that question, what words would you use to describe Canterbury Gardens Community Church? A few years back, when I went and visited the local shops around here, introducing myself as one of the pastors here, I remember meeting one of the fish and chip owners, and he turned around and he saw my business card, and he said, oh, thank you very much. And I said, oh, my name is Shabu. I work at Canterbury Gardens, and I just stopped there, and he looked and thought, oh, Canterbury Gardens, oh, so you work at the garden centre down the road. No, 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 I had to explain who I was again. It was an interesting conversation. What words have you heard when people talk about our church? Or what words have you used? Now, I can go either way, right? Uh, One way is we talk about the positive things about our church to describe what our church is like. And then here's the reality. There's probably negative words that either we've used or we've heard others use about our church family, our church community, our church. Uh, If we step back and think about the big C, the the wider church, what kind of language do do churches use these these days to describe themselves? Uh, One of the things that I do one day a week is to work with City to City Australia, a church planning network. I'm constantly meeting with church planters and leaders and I often hear things like this. I ask them, what's your church like? And they say, oh, it's relevant, seeker-sensitive, we're a solid church, we're a gospel-centred church. We're a denominational church, meaning that we're Presbyterian or Anglican. We're contemporary. We're traditional. This is a new one. We're organic. Now, some of these things are helpful to describe. But what does it look like from a biblical perspective? What are the characteristics? What are the things that we want to be known for as a church? Well, 1 Thessalonians helps us with that. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church that he deeply cares for and loves. And notice how he describes them. Look with me in 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 1 to 3. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and our Father your work of faith and the labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. First up, he describes very clearly that they are not just one individual. This is not an individual that's being addressed. This is a church community, a family. Secondly, Paul wants to spend some time. He's so thankful for them. He's not sad and he's not rebuking them in the first few verses like some other epistles. In this moment, because of the report that's come back, he is so encouraged, but he wants to unpack and he very much so recognizes some key markers that define this church. Their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope in Jesus. Uh, One of my good mates always tells me, uh, you know, how do people find out about churches these days? Well, they go to the new front door. Where is that? The church website. Now, you might have gone to our church website or you might be hearing for the very first time, oh, we have a website? Yes, we have a website. You should check it out. Now, our website's not 100% perfect, but that website tells you a lot about who we are as a church. Maybe you've gone to other church websites. But my guess is, including on our own website, these kind of words don't come out. The work of faith, our labor of love, and our steadfastness of hope in Jesus. 
Those are interesting words, aren't they? But here what Paul's doing is that if you went to www.thessalonianchurch.org, these are the key things that define them as a church. Not just to themselves, actually, but to the rest of the world that heard about them. See, friends, these are powerful virtues. These are characteristics. This is the kind of things that mark a great church. And you know what? When we're thinking about in our modern day and language, particularly when we think about churches, it doesn't sound very inspiring, does it? Often we talk about the things that the church does or has, their website, their YouTube videos, their graphics, whatever it might be, all external things. And that's not necessarily bad. But what marks this church is significantly important because it is defined by eternal things. This church is defined by its work of faith, its labor of love, its steadfastness of hope. And you know what? Those words are there to challenge us to consider, is this true of us as a church community, as a church family? Because if it's not, we are much poorer for it. So in Paul's eyes, this church that was formed, these three things that he unpacks, we've got to consider, well, what does that actually mean? Well, the work of faith. This church was so focused by this truth and reality that their faith was not something that was just personal. It wasn't something that they just kept to themselves. Their faith, as one commentator put it, had an active expression. It was defined by their work of faith being expressed out outwardly by their life, by what they did. Their faith displayed fruit. And that fruit was a witness to everyone around them. They knew, though, that their faith or their works, I should say, does not save them, but rather their faith in God moved them to live out for God by doing the works that he had pre-prepared in advance for them to do. See, the hearers then and listening in, their culture was a Roman Greek culture, This meant that uh, people were not just known by their name, but also known by what they did, their work. This was also an evidence of who they are and their very character. This was displayed by their faith that was displayed outwardly. And now, in this moment, in this context, most church historians said, the Christian church was defined by their care for their poor, visitations of the sick, hospitality to strangers, comfort to those who are downtrodden, and is also extended out even further to those who are around in their community, the wider community. Some historians even say that their comments like this, the Jews look after the Jews, the Greek look after the Greeks, the Romans look after the Romans, but these Christians look after everyone. Their faith was expressed out outwardly. And this language is about work. And so, friends, what that means, you and I, is that this is mark us as a church community. Now, I understand that we might individualize this thing, and there may be some of us who are doing these things individually, and that's wonderful, good on you, praise God. But I want us to ask the question, does this define us as a church? Does our faith have an active expression to both followers of Jesus towards them and also to those who don't know Jesus. I mean, can our friends, can our community, when they see us, understand, oh yeah, that's Christian love being displayed, that is faith being displayed. 
See, Paul is not writing to a group of individuals. He's writing to a church. And maybe there are some of us who are so frustrated with this idea of, you know, constantly this and that of Bible studies and programs and so on. But what about doing? We need to do more, do more, do more. Why are we not serving the poor? Why are we not running programs of this or that? Hang on. Just, just come with me for a moment. And then some of us are now starting to get nervous. We're sounding a little bit social justice shabu. Please just hold off on sending those emails. Let me, some of us going, okay, where is this guy going? Friends, we need to be asking, is this true of us in light of this? The point is not for us to go with, oh, let's get into it, or, oh, no, or, or wherever we might end up. It's stepping back and going, has the grace of Christ and his peace, which Paul starts the letter with, gripped us as a church community that it is outworked in everyday realities. That is, to love, to serve, and proclaim the good news of Jesus. This is what active expression means. This active expression is not just during those programs, like on Sundays or those special events or those mission trips. No, this is actually meaning the very life of the church is reshaped by this. And so it has outworking. It is an active expression. And now, Paul then unpacks this thing of what marks him was his labor of love. Well, what does that mean? This is a significant marker in the life of the Thessalonian church. This meant that their lives were never insular. It was always externally displayed. Their love was displayed through their love for one another and for those who did not know Christ. Their love for uh, the leadership in their church, but also for other Christians in other cities, but also compelled them to love those around who weren't Christians yet. This is not some sort of airy-fairy kind of word love, okay? This is not the word that we use in our culture. What's going on here is that this church community experienced the love of God. It's so moved into their hearts and souls that it pushed them out to love those around them. And this is why there's this labor of love language. It's, it's giving a wonderful picture that this is hard work. It's exhausting work. Actually, it is costly work. But it's work that is centered around God's love for them. And this meant that their focus was always for the better of others. It's not for themselves. It was sacrificial love because they had experienced God's gift of grace and love. You know what, church family, as we sit here and consider, is this true of us as a church? Well, this is not an option. <laughs> this is not something you sit there and go, oh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. No, this is what it means to be signed up to be a follower of Jesus. And in particular, being part of a church community. Many years ago, a few years ago, I had the great privilege to be in uh, New York for a while. Um, and as we were there as a family, I had the great joy to meet other pastors and leaders. And one of the things that they did was they had a monthly meeting with other pastors and leaders as they prayed for their city, looked for ways to continue to serve their city and proclaim the good news of Jesus without compromise. And so 
what happened was one of the churches there had just started and they were sharing about this story. They said, look, you know, we are in need of a worship pastor. And they thought to themselves, look, it'd be great if you know of anyone. Uh, we don't really have the budget for it, but if you know anyone, let us know. But do pray for that. And one of the other churches who was well-resourced turned around to them and said, hey, um, actually, why don't we um, give you our worship pastor? They'll, they'll come and train whoever you want to be trained from within your own ranks and we'll send them for a year and actually we'll release them and you know what, we'll pay their wage for a whole year. Now when I heard that, I just thought that is not, why? Why is that? Well, I think it's because this church community had experienced the love of Christ and they were moved to love their brother and sister in Christ from this other church community and provide for them. Friends, like I was saying earlier, you can have all the bells and whistles in a church. But if it's lacking this labor of love, that church, our church, would be much poorer for it. So then Paul wants to say another characteristic, what shows who they are, is the steadfastness of hope in Jesus. See, all of the above that Paul writes, and now he finishes off with this, it's a wonderful picture of the work of faith, the labor of love, and the way that Paul's writing it, he's making it very clear that this is hard work. He's not watering it down. This is what it means to have to be a follower of Jesus. This is the realities of it. It's not going to be easy. It's actually going to cost you. It can actually even be challenging. Actually, even at times, no one will notice except for God himself, and that's the motivation. But the very virtues, why they're doing this, this steadfastness of hope and i'm not sure if the english uh, esv is helpful for this another way to put it is it's endurance inspired by hope in our lord jesus christ see this church was marked with this truth endurance this church faced much trial and persecution for their faith and you know what it marked them to endure. And this was a significant term that was used in the early church. And you read a lot of the New Testament letters, it talks about enduring over and over again, particularly in Paul's letters. Paul understands that this church that is facing persecution and faith, and he is concerned for them. I mean, you've got to think, right, this was a young church. Maybe he thought they had walked away from their faith, but he hears the good news that they are persevering, that they're enduring in the steadfastness of hope. And what is that hope? What is this, this thing that is moving them to be marked by work of faith, labor of love, and this steadfastness of hope? Is it just ultimately for themselves? No, it is beyond themselves, friends. It is zeroed into this powerful reality of one person, Jesus Christ. See, for the Thessalonians, the very return of Jesus Christ filled this church with much hope that moved them to live out their faith in work, in love and perseverance and steadfastness of hope. So remember how I said to you at the start, we've got to ask the question, is that marker of us? Is that true of us as a church? Another way to put it, do we as a church exist in such a way in the knowledge that Christ is returning? 
is at the forefront in our minds. Is that what marks us as a church community? See, friends, when you and I, when as a church we display the love of Christ to others, when we work out our faith, when we are displaying the faith that we have outwardly, when we display the love of Christ, when we persevere and we hang on to it because of the promise and the truth of the promise and return of Jesus Christ, it's a powerful witness to people around us. See, the return of Jesus Christ is a true hope. The return of Jesus Christ is going to happen and it should actually fill us with much joy and hope, particularly in seasons of great trial and challenge. I mean, for this church, it was the very foundation of their work of faith, their labor of love and their steadfastness was totally built around this truth that Jesus was going to return. Friends, is that true of us? Is that true of us as a church family? Those three things that we just spoke of. And we might be asking, well, what does that actually look like? Well, friends, come with me on a little bit here. What I want us to consider is how Paul now moves into the next few verses. And I pray as you read and consider these verses, they stir something in you. Look with me in verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the, in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acacia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. See, in this moment what we're seeing is the reason why this church was marked with such fruit is because the good news of Jesus had totally revived their hearts and souls. And because of this good news of Jesus, Paul shows them, hey, you guys are loved by God. You are chosen by God. Why? Because of the gospel of Christ. It is through the preaching of the word, their, their hearts are convicted, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, it comes into full conviction, deep conviction, that it reorientates their whole life. They're confronted by this truth. It's such a radical thing for them to consider and a worldview that was constantly telling them you need to appease the gods around you, they're confronted that God has moved towards them in grace through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing they can do. It's all been done because of Christ. It is a powerful picture and a powerful moment, and they are so moved that they turn away from their worship of idols to the worship of the living God. The whole world was reshaped by this truth. Oh, followers of Christ, I pray and I hope this is something that we constantly have to battle. If you are a follower of Christ, do you remember that you too were once alienated, that you and I were also under God's wrath, that God in his mercy 
revealed his son to us. That you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And because of that, in Christ, we are loved by God, chosen by him, all because of grace. Church, that is something true that should still define us as a church. That is be a very key marker for all to know and see. Is that true of us? So in this moment, as Paul is writing, he also talks about being imitators of them. Now, in our culture, particularly Australian culture, we don't like doing that kind of stuff. You know, hey, you've got to look at John and live the kind of life that he has and be an imitator of John, you know, like... There's something in us that stirs and goes, no. But what's going on in here? Has Paul sort of got dibs on himself? No. When Paul says, being imitators of Paul, Silas, Timothy, and remember the Lord, that's Jesus that he's speaking of. What's he meaning? He's meaning that when this church responded to the good news of the gospel, they also signed up for something, for affliction and persecution just like Paul, just like Silas, just like Timothy, and just like their Saviour. Yet their experience of suffering and trial was not something that they could possibly humanly experience by just trying harder. No, they needed a supernatural empowerment through the Holy Spirit to enable them to do so with joy. It has to be a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know what that means, church family? When you follow Jesus, when we follow Jesus as a church community, we will face suffering, we will face trial, we will face persecution. It's part of the package. Paul faced it, Silas faced it, Timothy faced it, our Saviour faced it. Why would we not either? Yet the Lord does not leave us alone. The Helper, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do so with joy. It can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I think in our day and age we live in a very comfortable culture that's by looking to our persecuted brothers and sisters in christ we see this in action on the open doors website they have um, uh, quotes of um, pastors and leaders and this is one of them this is a syrian pastor he says this the church is the source of joy because jesus stayed on the cross and syria is on the cross and waiting the day will be resurrected. No one in any society has this joy except the church. He goes on to say, we're not passing through anything. Our Lord did not pass through himself and triumph over. Being persecuted recently in Syria is nothing. We have been persecuted for centuries and it does not hurt the church, but serve it. Now, I've got to be honest with you, that is a very challenging perspective. And here I am complaining that I, I can't travel more than 5Ks. Friends, the purpose and the very trials that you and I face, and even the, what the Thessalonians face, was because that's part of what it means to follow Christ. It will happen. But their focus was not on themselves, but on Jesus. So much that it reshaped everything. It became such a witness not only in their town, but around to the known world at the time. And what's been talked about, what's been talked about is, is that all the stuff that they're doing, what has been talked about? See that in verse 9? For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how 
you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The very fame of this church is spreading not because of all the things that they are doing, rather what God has done through them. It's a powerful, powerful reminder that this church experienced the grace of God, that they have been delivered from the wrath of God simply because of Christ, so powerfully because of Christ. I get it. It's not very popular to talk about the wrath of God in our day and age. It seems a bit, oh, slow down here a little bit, shabu. Friends, I want you to know this is true still today. God's wrath is coming on all who have turned from him and worshipping their own idols rather than worshipping the living and true God. And the only remedy is not by making yourself right with the holy God or even being a good person. It can only happen by turning to the living, true God through Jesus Christ, his Son, the risen Saviour, who alone can only deliver you from the wrath that is to come. And friend, if you do not know Jesus Christ, we want you to take this seriously. If you're someone who is exploring the Christian faith, we want you to take this seriously. And if you're someone who believes the good news of the gospel, do not back away from talking about the wrath of God. It should cause us also to be humbled that God has been merciful to you and I for those of us who know Christ. See, this truth, this hope shaped the whole church and they lived that out because they were moved by this. And so it was an expression shown out to the people around them. Friends, is this true of us as a church? You know what this means? What this could look like is, see, the good news of Jesus is more than just getting a ticket to heaven. No, the good news of Jesus means that your whole life, your very being is reorientated to the things of God. Lived out on those things, the three things that I talked about. Faith, hope, and love. Oh using the 1 Thessalonians words probably more appropriately, faith, love, hope. What this means is that good news of Jesus should reshape everything, a whole life. Actually, it should reshape our church constantly, continuously. The very virtue that Paul speaks of is the fruit of this gospel going deep into the hearts of a church community. And then it's pushed out to live out these truths. It means that our very lives, the very existence of Canterbury Gardens Community Church is both to proclaim clearly the good news of Jesus fully and to show God's love, not ever watering down his truth and grace. In the hope and the promise that we rest on that Jesus is returning. But see, as we wait, we don't just twiddle our thumbs and wait for Christ's return because now we know we're fine, we'll be fine. No, it should cause us to cry out for mercy to those who do not know Jesus, to those who are under the wrath of God. 
Because the reality is that there are many in our world who are still worshipping many idols and they need to turn to the living God in order to be delivered from the wrath that is to come. This is why Jesus said, go make disciples. This is the mandate of all followers of Jesus. You know what that means, church family? The very existence, why we exist as this church community, as a family, is that we're not actually called to be cruise ships, just floating around and enjoying the very gifts of grace that God has given us and making ourselves all happy and thinking, yeah, okay, fine, I'm safe. No, we need to see ourselves as rescue boats, joining God in his mission, rescuing those who are drowning in sin and captivity and need to be delivered through the good news of Jesus Christ. You and I have been called to jump into those rescue boats and join in his work in our city, in our state, in our nation, in our world. But with a promise that Christ is coming. So friends, is your faith, is my faith just a private thing? Or does it seep into every area of your life and my life? Is our life, as Paul wrote, are people looking at us and going, I want to be like so-and-so. Now, I understand it's very countercultural in the Aussie culture, but the point is not us them looking to us, but looking to the one in us. And the reality is idols still call to you and I. What idols are calling to you and I today? Church, what do we want to be known for in this city, in this state, in this nation? Do we live in the hope and the truth that Jesus is returning? Or are we just waiting for things to go back to normal? Friends, things will never be normal. True normality comes when Christ returns, as it was meant to be. May we be a people under God's grace and power through his Holy Spirit. Be a church that lives out our love for God love for each other and others around us. That we'll be a church that is being steadfast in hope of the promise that the King will return. All for his glorious name. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this truth. That you are returning. And with that truth in our hearts, may we be marked to be a church that works out our faith and displays it, that displays the love that we've experienced to one another and to the people around us, and resting in the hope that you are returning. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks, church family.